Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Do I even need to say it? The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 107, Manifest, is brought to you by Mama Mabel's Charm School. Whatever you do, don't give her the finger. Pete, before we dive on in, just want to uh, remind everybody we are at full force here at Fantastic Geek, podcasting Luke Cage twice a week as we have been. Also, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that continuing on that podcast front. Also want to announce that we have uh, just launched the uh, Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. So uh, certainly check out iTunes and FantasticGeek.com for that. And of course, if you are listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, you get all of that in one tidy collection. What's uh, a little Luke Cage without some Iron Fist there? Long-standing association between those two characters in the comics. Super excited to bring you that. Later, The Punisher, Defenders, etc. If it's set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Fantastic Geek is the only place to get it all. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Pete, where do we start? Bluesy music, Matt. And a zip is... uh, Attempting to conduct some gun business here, you know, with that John Blaze stuff. Uh, there comes Luke Cage, breaks it out. Uh, everybody scatters, but Zip delivers a little bit of news to the former Carl Lucas, explaining to him, Hadn't you heard? Cottonmouth's getting out. And coming for you, boom, with the gun finger thing pete that's what we in the biz call foreshadowing on account of how the episode ends right uh meanwhile uh misty is checking out crime scene photos and uh notices then in the other room also a little bit of foreshadowing there cornell stokes fingers are absent-mindedly tickling the old ivory and uh, we quickly find out that uh, his uh, lawyer is uh, finalizing the process here of getting him out of the police station. We've and, seen uh, that lawyer before, Matt. It is, Pete? Where, where do we know him from? Well, uh, Mr. Donovan here, Benjamin Donovan, was last seen representing one Wilson Fisk when he uh, headed inside in season two of Daredevil. Wow, that is an awesome catch there. And also, I mean, that's that's that is deep casting right there. It's one thing to sit and go, oh, we need, you know, we need the same cop character to cross between uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones or things of that sort. That is pretty awesome. Well, d- come on. Don't the bad guys always use the same lawyer? That is true. That is true. Um also mentioned by the lawyer is the notion that uh, Misty is dogged in her pursuit. And then, Pete, we get, I think mansplaining would be underselling it. We get we get some gender, uh, some gender language here. Some serious innuendo. Absolutely. Cottonmouth saying that the word dogged is derived from dog, though a bee, he says the whole thing, a bee is never happy unless she gets a bone. Wow. Mouth on a bone, Matt. He really, really 
buries this, but you know what? Simone Missick's Misty Knight, she ain't taking it. Uh, that uh, she says she'll see who the B is when his A goes to prison. <laughs> it's a great line. This is an episode that has a number of great one-liners. That certainly is one of them. Uh, we see Cottonmouth exiting the police station with Luke watching, and there's slow, soft jazz continuing to tie the scenes together, all while Misty goes back inside, and uh, a woman, as of yet unintroduced, uh, notices Misty, notices Luke, and then we are taken to the title card. The episode proper, Matt, begins with a TV voiceover here that Cornell Cottonmouth stokes has been released, Matt. Even the TV's calling him it now, okay? But it's another blow to law enforcement. So uh, he's cackling with uh, delight at the plans here uh, have blown up in the face of the cops. Mariah's not going to like it. We find that Shades in the room there who admonishes him, neither should he. Cornell is so proud to have shot a cop and walked away. And to him, everyone is all good now. Domingo has the guns. So he asks Shades, when do I get my Judas? Turns out he doesn't get it. It's a great um, way that Theo Rossi carries across Shades in this scene here with uh, you don't. You're too hot right now. And then calling Luke Cage a luxury He's he's ice cream, Matt. You need to be putting steak on the table. I love me some Theo Rossi. Uh, Cottonmouth, however, doesn't like how Cage is messing up the street game and demands to talk with Diamondback. Pete, that's like the Diamondback that we saw at the NYCC where uh, I wouldn't have expected him to show up except for that, so I got spoiled. But is that how he wants to play it? If so, well, Shades is off to mournfully make it happen. I love here how Shades is just kind of this um, lieutenant who is slightly subservient to the Cottonmouth camp, but ultimately loyal to the Diamondback camp. And it's like, all right, if this is what Cottonmouth says, he's not here to talk him out of it. He's there to follow the order. And uh, (laughs) something tells me it's not going to work out too well for all involved. The shadow of a diamondback um, is is the second most impressive thing we've seen since the the he who shall not be named Fisk Kingpin early play on Daredevil. Now alone, Stokes takes one more sip of his liquor and takes out a bejeweled box inside of which is a it's a plain looking pistol, which uh, helps flash a flashback, Pete. Yeah, putting it up to the mirror there, there's a, a flashback of a, of a younger man in the dark, his breath visible, and from there, we break back into real time at Pop's Barbershop and Bobby Fish asking about all the evidence. What about it? Why didn't it stick against Cottonmouth? Well, what with uh, Scarf having been a dirty cop and uh, his his notebook alone won't, won't substantiate it. Uh, we also have Spurlock, the, the mortuist. Uh, he's taking a lot of the heat, which is, which is not a ton. Um, so Pete, in the course of, what are we, probably about seven minutes, if that, into this episode, the, the triumphant 
the triumphant exclamation point of the end of uh, the previous episode has now come crashing to an end. And to add to it, Pete, Claire is overhearing everything. Yeah, and she points out here that setbacks happen all the time, that, you know, what are you going to do about it? You have the power to do more. And drawing upon her experience with some other powered people that he has the ability to get justice if he wants it. Pete, is that what that cat in Hell's Kitchen is doing? Is that really justice? Well, it's a form of justice, Matt. And, you know, he turns the tables on her, you know, then why'd you run uptown if, if Hell's Kitchen's such a safe place here? Um, and uh, she wants to know what he's so afraid of before a fateful phone call. Right before that fateful phone call, he explains uh, essentially the benefits of him running away. Here he has he has hung around. Pops has paid for it, uh, and and. Everyone has paid from his pre- for his presence here, so it's kind of difficult to argue with that. And then, Pete, ring, ring, who's on the phone? It's Cottonmouth, and uh, there's some talk of some gangster stuff, uh, or they could parlay here. And uh, parlay's just fine, because as we know, Cottonmouth's gangster stuff ain't worked out too well lately, and he invites Luke to Harlem's Paradise, even tells him to bring his apron <laughs> I thought in this scene it was all bluster and the dig was one of excess. Uh, turns out that it's just setting up the the meeting of the two in which it really is revealed that Luke has little wiggle room here and uh, Cottonmouth, at least in the short term, is the is the puppet master. But at the police station, though, Pete, the captain, is getting the axe She's on her way out. Word came down an hour ago. She urges Misty to let the Cottonmouth case go. And Pete, is that is that Ridley from IA there? Well, it's not Ripley from uh, Aliens, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, Pete. This is a scene with three powerful black women who are police. That's a good thing, Pete. And uh, she's properly introduced. It's Priscilla. That's uh, Inspector Ridley, a.k.a. Inspector Gadget. She thinks this is all going to be fun. And with Captain uh, Betty Audrey here getting canned, which not for nothing, Matt, can we call story foul that it seems just a little over the top that because there's a dirty cop, they can the captain. Um, yeah, I would be interested to hear from uh, some listeners that are uh, that are in law enforcement, especially law enforcement in a uh, in a larger city, that kind of thing. I, I, I tend to agree with you, Pete, that there are other things you can do other than, hey, you're fired, which is certainly what's being suggested. Maybe maybe a police eye would say, no, she's clearly getting moved out to you know something of less prestige, but she's not you know getting fired, fired. But I agree. I mean, happened on her watch, but flip side, you know, I mean, how many... I certainly don't want to suggest that there's an acceptable number of crooked police officers in any, uh, you know, in any police department. But my guess would be, without looking it up, you're probably talking five, six, seven thousand people in the NYPD. If they found Scarf, the you know one of the bad ones, which fine in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's a whole lot more because of the Fisk stuff. But they got Scarf out of this precinct. I kind of feel like, you know, it's it's not all on her feet. 
Yeah, it just felt a little extreme. Granted, they're they're moving a, a story along the idea that Internal Affairs is going to be uh, investigating Misty, uh, that Priscilla Radley here, who she worked under at the 31st when she was a lieutenant, you know, keeping a thumb on top of her creates that tension, whereas Misty seemed to have a pretty good working situation with everyone around her. You, you need that acrimony. You need that conflict to push her story forward. By the way, Pete, I was just a teensy, teensy bit off as the number of uh, officers in the NYPD. Uh, we are talking in the neighborhood of thirty-five to 40,000 uniform uh, yes. officers with uh, 51,000 employees overall. So, <laughs> again, the number of corrupt cops in fictional or real NYPD should be zero. I'm just saying from a practical point of view, if you got the one in your precinct in the form of scarf and he's paid it paid for it with his life i don't know that you know that the captain should be fired but all the more reason with all these you know different departments maybe peach is being busted from uh captain of the precinct to uh you know uh, head of the traffic enforcement agents staten island division or something like that well, let's just hope her 401k didn't take too big of a hit during the incident <laughs> The story moves to outside Mariah's brownstone. Uh, Mr. Boone is there. He, he's, he's happy to tell the assembled press he's going to support his party member. Pete, they're, of course, a member of the political party. Um, yes, and, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. I believe I'm a registered. <laughs> um, and it's all smiles as she's out there, too. She toes the, the line about family first. All these allegations are false. And by the way, Harlem for Harlemites solidarity matt the circling of the wagons happens when there is controversy and uh you you can count on it you can set your watch by it and no sooner does this very public display of political togetherness take place than they get inside and they break it down to brass tacks almost too quickly matt well, you know what, Pete? I think a couple of thoughts here. Mr. Boone, he knows a political opportunity when he sees one. Uh, he also realizes that he's uh, only in one scene of this episode, and he, he's got to get a move on to hit some story touchstones and, uh, and keep things going. And that's what he does. He says that she's tainted. It's spreading. Boone calls for Mariah to step aside and, oh, yeah, let him take her place. He's going to make sure that within a year, all four of her complexes are running and uh, Pete, it's clear that he is eager to see her fall. Yeah, pretty boy, Stanford carpetbagger, though he is, Matt. Uh, but this is what political operatives do. They they lay in wait and uh, they they sit on a video and uh, then uh, they unleash it uh, just as, um, you know, the Access Hollywood uh, producer comes to the, the back door there in his uh, sunglasses. Pete, it'll be interesting to see if in future episodes uh, Boone has actually miscalculated and Mariah will only become more popular. Um, but what delightful fiction that would be. Um, so, so she kicks him out. He's gone. And uh, Mariah's... Uh, fellow her, her 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 assistant tony sees if she needs anything and i had myself wondering i know we've seen him before but is he like always there turns out pete there's a story reason why he's there to get her a scotch neat because shades has snuck in and needs to speak with her alone 
So that means Tony needs to leave. Hence his use in the scene. And then we're uh, kind of playing two scenes together here. Luke walking on his way to Harlem's paradise. Pete, is it a Marvel montage? <laughs> it's, it is and it isn't um, in the way that it, it allows for the necessary exposition. It brings Ridley uh, up on what's going on. And again, the attempt to incriminate Luke because of his involvement in all of these things, something that Misty was once heading down the path of, but obviously saw the light. And now this outsider coming in with a cop who also, uh, you know, bears uh, the taint of controversy, having been the, uh, the partner to the, to the crooked cop, um, you know, it, it really increases that pressure on Misty. The music here is, uh, is, uh, surging. By the way, we get a quick little, uh, quick little intercut as, uh, Inspector Gadget, uh, uh mentions, um, Luke's involved in here. You get a quick little intercut of, uh, Luke and Misty making the beast with two backs, but the music, the music surges and mixes with Cottonmouth playing the electric piano in his office He's looking mournful and Pete, we don't need a kind of like a whomp to, to take us to flashback. We have, we have just that, I don't know, that, that beauty that is the electric piano. But then Pete, we flash back to a front room. Yeah, there are um, women of the night, Matt. It's quickly apparent. There are Rubenesque paintings uh, and the setting certainly reflects that sensibility and then through that old trick where the camera continues uh past the wall there which is just uh there for really kind of the illusion um we come to cornell there playing out of thin air for old uncle pete yeah we have young cornell we have mama mabel praising him she's also quick to shoot down young mariah Pete, that young Mariah might be a lawyer one day. And Pete, because it's it's all about the youth or the youths, uh, young Pops comes in and uh, gets dismissed quickly. How, how dare he try and dirty Cottonmouth? Um, but Pete, that's when Donnie is told to stay. And uh, this isn't going to go well for Donnie and his, uh, his future as a piano player. It's not. The, the subtext here with Cornell's talent being uh touted as worthy of a juilliard and then uncle pete talking to mariah because uh she's going to be a lawyer someday and the and the look that she gives but uh you know am, am i the only one that felt a little mournful seeing uh you know the late uh henry pop hunter yeah, it was definitely this moment of uh, oh oh did they get the old the, you know the, the 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 original actor no it's the other guy oh he's dead so uh, a moment of sadness there but about to get a whole lot worse for Donnie Mama Mabel takes him to task for selling drugs other things are allowed Pete some of which they're words I don't use but but not drugs and uh, Donnie uh, gets his finger snipped right off at the knuckle with those gardening shears and uh turns out pete that's only the beginning of his troubles at the hands of uncle pete 
Yeah, um, it's a brutality that we need to see out of her to establish her. Um, it's kind of like a what needs to be done situation. And as this matriarch, uh, to be able to do that, to show them what's what, to protect her own as as much as this crack game is blowing up, Matt. And, and it was blowing up in the 80s, uh, you know, not using a gun here, using using those pruning shears to, to blow off his finger, his pointer finger, his trigger finger, Matt. It's all it's all connected except for his finger. Um, so Uncle Pete, having taken uh, Cottonmouth, they they go out and beat Donnie further and uh, time passes Young Cottonmouth comes back in. He's he's shaken. His hands are bloodied. Really, really a sense of his innocence gone. Uh, this young actor playing him, he does not get a lot of screen time. But the time that he has, it sells this story arc to uh, to Cottonmouth. All of this while Mama Mabel clutches uh, his shaking hands. This is our again. You know the the parallels with Fisk that go on in this episode and the humanization that went on with him in season one of daredevil um and to get cottonmouth humanized in in such a way with this ability an uncommon ability and you you come back into the present here and and the hands the crackling of the of the knuckles it's clearly taken a toll uh and to have the face down with luke cage you know, and the acknowledgement that he has talent. He could have been somebody, Matt. Yeah, Luke tells Cottonmouth that the latter is going to confess to, uh, confess to Misty Knight. Cornell declines, calling him Carl. Carl Lucas. With the square name like that, it sure needed changing. Oh yeah, that means the Cottonmouth knows about uh, Luke being an escaped prisoner. Uh, and also that means that once he's caught, he's got to go back. But Pete, would he snitch? Never. That's because there's there's honor among thieves, but Luke is no thief. Great line here, kind of this idea that he's not worthy of that uh, that you know honor among thieves notion. And uh, Cottonmouth is ready to tear down the folk hero with the truth. He's a common criminal. Yeah, and we hear for the first time that he had been a sheriff. Uh, so we continue with with few words to deepen. Uh, who Luke Cage, who Carl Lucas was before Seagate prison, uh, wrongfully imprisoned. And, uh, you know, Cottonmouth seemingly has the upper hand. Matt, I have to tell you, this scene rang a little false in the way that Luke is just kind of, oh, he knows this thing about me. And now... I have to make a sad face. Yeah, I guess there is a certain degree of uh, of uh, proceduralism to it, but Pete, I can't help but reflect that here we have we have a sheriff from Georgia, Carl. Pete, the, the, there's like <laughs> the, Carl. There's like Carl. a there's like a great. Can, can it be possible, Pete, for the, the Walking Dead and uh, Marvel Netflix to have some sort of great convergence and just blow up everything? 
know, Daredevil. Can, can we have the Defenders at, uh, you know, at uh, Alexandria just, just clearing the place out? Matt, they may need them. <laughs> well, if nothing else, Pete, there's some fanfic for our, uh, for our listeners to, to, to get working on. Um, Cottonmouth back to him uh says that he's going to keep luke's secret he's got a use for a, bull, a bulletproof man uh and then another great line cottonmouth doesn't have his hand in a few pies he owns the bakery son and he's owning that line and with a wave of the hand he dismisses luke who in the next scene is walking the streets in slow motion stunned yeah and and, and again to to carry that over as, as a man of action it just seems a little hard to believe that just because Cottonmouth has this knowledge a, a man who was imprisoned earlier that day and his word about this bulletproof man is suddenly going to sink him just, it it didn't ring right Matt Well Pete let me tell you how shocking a different part of this story is right now back to mariah's brownstone we go he, you know it's serious because here we have shades taking off his uh shades he asks if mariah remembers him from being a kid he grew up on the streets he knew mama mabel stokes was the answer to those who needed a thanksgiving turkey or school clothes or a message sent to an abusive father the name stokes used to used to mean something pete yeah, and awkwardly cut in, so much has happened between the time he walked in the back door. <laughs> this entire tense scene between Luke and Cottonmouth, and now it's like, oh, and now we're going to resume this conversation, which has clearly happened in the time in which Luke and Cottonmouth were talking. Yeah, yeah, definitely a little little um, yellow alert there for the editor. Uh, the point, though, is that Shades is ripping into Mariah, saying that she's on her way out. She's powerless. Pete, she's even unable to slap him. He kind of catches it mid-hit. And I love here how he looms large in the frame, and Theo Rossi is, is vicious and commanding. And Pete, Shades closes out the scene by telling Mariah that she'll be surprised of what she's capable when the time comes. Again, this episode is all about setup. Uh, and follow through. This was the last screened for uh, media and critics prior to the entire season dropping on September 30th. So they really had to bury it. Uh, love the the reference here by uh, Shades to former New York City Mayor David Dinkins, um, showing the the Stokes family respect, and and now just a, a washed up gangsta land back at pops luke is packing up and ready to run um and pete you might be critical of it as you have been but i think i know why stick with me here he says he's not going back to prison he talks of the benefits of running um and uh, people might need him but he's no good to people and pete this is when claire tells him halfway through the episode nay halfway through the season that he can take a stand and represent his community or run. Pete, you might be seeing the writerly edges here as it's, oh man, what do I do? But it's to get us to the exact midpoint of this season where he's not sure which way he's going to go. So at the very least, the fact that they're able to balance this season on this scene, I thought was pretty impressive. 
there's no denying that this scene has to occur. I think it's how we got here that I that I take issue with um, the the scene between Claire and uh, Luke works on a variety of levels. You think about the space in Pop's barbershop where it occurs there uh, in that green laundry area where he's let his guard down about his abilities with, uh, you know, kind of the foster father that he had in Pop lifting up the um, the the washer uh, early in the season and now to be having this frank conversation with uh, with Claire, it's it's the hero's call. It's the call to action. And uh, she's she's the mentor type of character that that has to deliver it here. The story uh, continues back at uh, Harlem's Paradise. Cottonmouth tells DJ D nice to turn up the bass. Pete, I know you're a huge D nice fan. I have seen that you own both the album Call Me D Nice and To The Rescue. But Pete, with that bass turned up, Cottonmouth wants to uh, to apologize to Shades for, for getting ahead of things. Cottonmouth Uh-oh, is... Uh-oh, beware of episodes, Matt, in which characters' backstories are revealed and then apologies are made when none need to be said. Oh, man. We're, we, we've checked two of the three boxes of pending character death. Cottonmouth is proud of having told Luke the business, but Shades is shocked, Pete. Shocked enough to take off his shades uh diamondback won't be happy hearing about that he's got plans for luke oh yeah says cottonmouth diamondback ain't my daddy Ooh. and uh now the concern is will luke run something that we seem to think could happen given the uh tension between the two characters before we're back in time to late 70s, early 80s there, where uh, Mama Mabel is, uh, is tending to one of her charges. Indeed. Sister Boy has a bruise and uh, needs it iced. Um, takes all kinds, Pete. Um, young Cottonmouth comes in. He's begun six hours on an audition. Six hours on an audition. Well, fine. Plus, he overheard Uncle Pete talking business in Spanish Harlem. Pete, is Uncle Pete up to no good? I'm sad to say that he is, Matt. He's uh, double dealing here. And this is how uh, Mama Mabel finds out that he was hanging with uh, Salvador Cologne in Spanish Harlem. The Puerto Ricans? Tato Lopez. Yeah, it's, it's it's the worst type of portrayal for her because they kept it in the community. You stayed in the community. Shades has established this idea of, you know, getting school clothes and turkeys. There's there's a Robin Hood-esque nature to Mama Mabel here as she's played. Though I don't remember Robin Hood cutting off anybody's uh, pointer fingers with uh, with pruning shears, but th- there's an idea of of bettering their own community, and you know, shudder the thought, Matt, th- this cross communal business can't be allowed, even if Cornell was just watching video music box with Domingo in the front room. Well, Pete, as a quick aside. 
fans of uh, the 1973 Walt Disney production Robin Hood will well know that there's a uh, there's a deleted scene in which the uh, the uh, bear form of Little John goes up to uh, goes up to <laughs> either Trigger or Nutsy, one of the two vultures, and actually cuts off one of the uh, one of the the thumb uh, wings. But I digress. Um, Back we go in the modern day where a street seller has Blu-rays of the incident. It's got all kinds. And Hey, Luke stops by. He's one of them. Is he willing to get paid 4K for 4K video of Luke in action? Pete, we could have a deal happening right here. We could, but uh, instead he wants to borrow this vendor's eyes for a while. And not in some sort of the mummy fashion. He just wants to know where's Domingo Cologne? With that, Pete, we cut to a totally, totally new, never before seen, <laughs> completely new location um, that is in a soundstage in Queens that Marvel uses, but totally new. It is Domingo's gym or something like that. It's it is in no way. It's not a redress of. Uh, ah, la, 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 la. Pete, this is not Fogwell's gym. This is Cologne's gym. It is totally different. They have their own sweatshirts, Matt, and a Puerto Rican flag in the office. Um, it's footage that we first saw way back when uh, Daredevil uh, season two hit. At the very end, there's a, a, a secret trailer for Luke Cage and uh, see his bulletproof nature here gets tired of having to buy new clothes and uh the bullets ricochet off he chases domingo into the office there and uh lays it out for him indeed he does he wants domingo to tell him where the guns are if he won't play ball well he just might get picked up and thrown in the hudson it won't be the fall that kills him it'll be hitting the water and as he drowns as as his lungs fill with water he'll ask himself why didn't i give luke cage what he wanted and with that, Pete, Luke Cage gets what he wants. The guns are downstairs. You got this one in a double XL? Back to police headquarters we go. And Pete, a character with an extensive backstory that I like to call Computer Guy, shows Misty that the only proof that Luke exists is his driver's license. He's got no other connections. He's got no The Faces book, no emails. Pete, not even any, you know... With the pictures. He, Luke is far <laughs> too clean. It's Luke Cage, Pete, and Matt. Totally pure. Well, this uh, forensic cop, Bailey, here, um, you know, calls out the hallmarks of clearly somebody whose uh, identity is manufactured. Everything we already know, but spelled out for Misty uh, and and adding, of course, the flourish of the dirty imagery. <laughs> Back we go to Mariah at home. She's getting the call uh, from someone on city council or, or someone who's part of the <laughs> political party saying that she's going to be pushed out and she can fight it or not, but she's being pushed out. With that, she smashes her glass, looks at a picture of Mama Mabel, and then calls for Tony to bring the car around. Pete, she's gone from anger to clearly having a plan. 
Yeah. And to see Cornell, uh, you know, again, tickling those ivories and we flash back to uh, Mama Mabel and Pete coming in here. And in an episode, Matt, where uh, Judas looms large at the end here, there's a table. There's no Last Supper on it, but there is certainly a Judas present. That there is. Mama Mabel pours Uncle Pete a drink. She looks in business and he looks in trouble. Uh, they drink and she starts to talk about their past. Pete says he's always been dedicated to the Fantastic Geek fan or the Fantastic Family uh, and denies selling out Mama Mabel to the Puerto Ricans. His deal is about Harlem and Spanish Harlem splitting up the city. And then Pete, great line here from Mama Mabel. Pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. Did you think she was going to poison him with the drink? I did. And the whole time I was I was watching to see um did she drink? Yes, yeah, she did yeah. drink. What's the yeah. what's the what do they the drink? TV out code of? there. You know, we're we're not dealing with somebody who would who would deal in uh, antidotes or anything like that. Um so you know, then you immediately start to think about, all right, what's what's her end game? And then remembering we we've seen the flashback before. And twist, Mama Mabel has been building up a resiliency to Iocane powder for two years. Yes. <laughs> and Cottonmouth, young Cottonmouth has a pistol behind Uncle Pete. Uncle Pete has walked outside. Cornell is about to make a choice while Mabel watches. Great low shot here so we can see someone watching through the window you wonder is it a neighbor or the cops being called no pete who is it it is it is mariah matt from the window to the backyard here and uh tells uncle pete or shall we begin to call him here uncle pete uh, that he deserves this because of what he did to the family what he did to her yeah, certainly uh, we go from some sympathy for Uncle Pete to basically no sympathy, um, although there's a certain honesty to the character as uh, Pete says, look at me. And he, you know, he's talking about uh, why he was pushing those piano lessons. Uh, certainly no excuse for what's been been suggested here with Mariah, but, but there's an honesty that Uncle Pete has towards young Cornell. And then he says, look at me every time. Boom, get shot once. Boom, shot again, and he's down. Family first, always. Uncle Pete was not good people, Matt. We were lied to. Back in the present day, Cottonmouth tells Mariah that she should have called first. He tweaks her for her rotten interview. Pete, he's clearly at the height of his power here. Uh, she admits that it's a low time for her, but uh, reminds him that... Uh, that uh, or she is reminded rather that he worked the streets as part of the family business while Mariah was sent to boarding school. Still, Pete, she has turned out sleazy. Yeah, and again with the continued uh, connection of uh, abuse suffered at the hands of this uncle that was clearly special and uh, saw the potential in Cornell and uh, that he was forced to kill. He, I mean, the fact here, especially, I mean, given, given the, the 
climate of discussion that we are in, shall we say, the, the notion that that Cornell um, is blaming Mariah for the for, for, for having urged on Uncle Pete. I, it, it's especially odious. And uh, it, it certainly is odious to her. Uh, Cottonmouth with his back turned gets a uh, smashed with a bottle of champagne. He's, you know, still still uh, conscious. Gets hit again, and then Pete he starts to to slide towards that iconic round window. Yeah, this after a number of shots between the two of them, where they're separated by the biggie uh, photo, and then where Mariah is much closer, nay, even under the crown of the photo matt everybody wants to be the king or queen well i tell you who isn't who's uh who's cottonmouth himself smashing through that round window he's alive though which i found a little surprising it's so easy to kind of kill a character that way it's because the story has plans for him mariah comes down picks up a heavy mic stand with that with that base and smashes and smashes and smashes pete Cottonmouth is dead. Yeah, and it takes shades there to snap her out of it. Look at you. And again, having uh, delivered that speech earlier, now she's she's gotten her nerve up. She's killed her cousin. She's stepped up. And though she may not have wanted this, she still did it. Outside the police station, Luke sees Misty. It's uh, not clear at first uh, under what circumstances they are meeting. Um, not coffee, we know that. Uh, he's confronted with the fact that he barely exists. Uh, still, she's not sure how, how he's involved in all of this. Uh, he says that there's a van, a van of hammer guns right across the street. And she repeats that being a vigilante still doesn't make things right. Does he want to take over Harlem? No, he just wants to be left alone. Yeah, and thrown back in her face here about the the corrupt partner and everything uh, that's gone on there. But hey, he's going to take care of Cottonmouth, Matt. <laughs> I'm sure that won't come back to haunt him. Um, he he ends the conversation by saying that uh, that he's not going to rely on the system. The system isn't treating her well, nor did it work with Cottonmouth's, Cottonmouth's springing that morning. And uh, he concludes by saying that he should be trusted. And then, Pete, we go inside Misty's office where, you know, all the guns are bagged and tagged on her desk, as one does for television. She ain't out of the doghouse, Matt. Not by a long shot. You have to be a little sympathetic with uh, with the inspector here. It does look awfully convenient that you know here Misty is in hot water, and now G. Willikers, she's she's got you know what was lost, she's found again. Um, with that, her phone rings. She gets a call and runs out. Pete setting up tension in this episode that I thought would be. Um, would be paid off in the episode. Indeed, I would even argue that th- with this next scene, the whole the whole shadow of where Misty has gone next, it looms over this scene, all for the the great twist that I first learned about at New York Comic Con. So, Pete, <laughs> take us to Luke and Claire. I, I want it clear that that uh, Jeff Loeb, head of Marvel Television, and not spoiler Pete, ruined Matt 
to this reveal here. We've got Claire and Luke talking about uh, his story uh, down to the detail of the, the yellow shirt, the, the comic appearance, the iconic comic, comic appearance. And as they're walking past the uh, Marcus Garvey playground here, uh, you know, where he will go next, uh, this narrative of him all uh, coming together here, we get uh, really a, a long shot of uh, somebody there in the darkness who uh, Matt now knows is uh, Diamondback uh, ready with uh, one Judas for another. And just as Claire is about to recommend a lawyer, uh, we see we see the bullet fired. Uh, a fun moment there, at least, uh, you know, fun in terms of his camera presentation of kind of the, the point of view of the bullet, if you will. Luke is shot, shot for real. There's blood. We hear a second shot, Pete. I, I couldn't tell whether it found its uh, mark or not, but Luke cries out to end the episode. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Mm, Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Pete, in what is unquestionably the longest list yes. of baddies that we have certainly done for Luke Cage, maybe for any Marvel podcast we've ever done. Exactly. Where do we start with? Let's begin with uh, new captain, former lieutenant Priscilla Ridley. Definitely a force of opposition to our to our hero, or shall I say, heroine. Um, that said, I'm not getting a uh, I'm not getting a villain feel from her. I think that she's just, uh, as I said, just in opposition to somebody we root for, but but no uh, no bad vibes as of yet. Cottonmouth, Matt. Uh, you know, to to get the backstory here, to get the apology to Shades, the writing was on the wall, and. What do you know? We get the end, at least in this episode, it seems, of this character. I like that um, his exit, or at least his potential exit, um, was heavily suggested by plot machinations last time. Oh, he's been arrested. He's no longer head of the bad guys. Uh, for him to get sprung so quickly... And then circle back around to uh, to what I'm pretty confident we can say is his his exit. Um, it, it's a nice little twist, particularly given that, um, well, the person at the end of this list surely must be uh, <laughs> must be the new the, the new antagonist for the remainder of the this uh, season. Shades continues to show up on our list here of bad guys, um, but decidedly in a gray area here, uh, working with uh, three of them. I don't think that he's an opportunist. I think from day one, it's been clear that he's Diamondback's guy and he's a he's a liaison to the Cottonmouth operation. Uh, not a lieutenant in it, although he has served as the latter at times. So the fact that he's um, off-screen been reporting back to his true boss uh, is news to no one, and the fact that he certainly is trying to manipulate the situation towards reveal-reveal, the second-half bad guy, is um, 
it's an inspired little bit of uh, of story business. Damon Boone here, played by uh, Clark Jackson, as the uh, opportunistic uh, politician, member of uh, Mariah's own party. You wonder here if, um, if in a different circumstance, he would uh, he would be considered perhaps even a good guy. You know, her her empire is clearly crumbling, at least as of uh, as of this episode. So for him to kind of offer to pick up the pieces and maintain stability, is it the worst thing in the world? I don't know. I could certainly think of a politician doing worse things, Pete. <laughs> Next up, Matt, the aforementioned Uncle Pete. Certainly uh, <laughs> no, no room for sympathy there after his, uh, after his uh, list of crimes has been laid bare. And um, a charisma to, to the character and kudos to the actor who we will dis- discuss more in a little bit. But um, not too sorry to see him go. Uh, I definitely appreciate, though, the, the flourish of him trying to get in one last good word. Uh, one last word of uh, of redemption to Cornell, uh, the man that kills him. Mama Mabel, Matt, is next here. There's something almost refreshing about seeing how uh, how tidy a business she runs, albeit a business in uh, in in flesh and uh, others people other people's troubles. Um, but she, you know, I, she as a crime boss has stuff locked down and. Um, Certainly is no nonsense. Certainly, Matt. Actress Latanya Richardson-Jackson portrays her here, like I said, with that Robin Hood-esque mentality. But there's there's a level of, of menace when it, when it comes to that portrayal, fittingly in an episode ended by a Judas. Indeed, Pete. And that takes us kind of controversially to the last name on the list here he's not named but it's diamondback yeah uh that he knows luke as carl that uh he does the dirty work himself here uh matt had not seen this scene he sees the scene a little later on uh where diamondback uh meets um mariah and and shades and domingo and uh was certainly blown away by that scene and to see um eric larray harvey uh pop up at the very end of this episode somebody who just absolutely owned it in um boardwalk empire ready to play the heavy for the remainder of this series. I would argue that um, though this is played for a surprise, and it is a heck of a surprise to take uh, uh, an actor of the the visibility and the prominence and the skill of Mahershala Ali and to kill him off halfway through the season and say, surprise, we now have another bad guy. Uh, there's narrative guts there, no, not to be denied one bit. That said, the show has been setting it up a little bit. Um, the fact that there's this myth of of Diamondback from the first episode, from Shade's reveal. Um, I guess what I'm saying is it is a surprise that the show um, conceived it. But uh, once conceived, it's a little bit less of a surprise that it, that it brought it to the world. But still, nonetheless, 
just I mean a shocking turn here at the end of at the end of this episode, the end of the seventh episode, to to have traded out main antagonists. The big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead. Let me tell you about the big picture, Matt, and that is the people who see that uh, Patreon.com is the thing that helps Fantastic Geek bring this thing of ours to you, helping us with our bandwidth costs, other things accrued uh, along the way in terms of our journey. Matt, we want to thank everybody who's uh, been so generous to donate and hopefully gotten themselves a little perk back in return. Absolutely. Uh, glad to keep the Fantastic Geek community going strong, uh, especially with those patrons lending a hand. So uh, thank you again, one and all. And uh, if you have yet to check out patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, go take a peek. Not a Judas among them, but a couple in this episode, Matt. And what is it with this Judas bullet? It, it'll surely be the end of Luke Cage, right? Surprise. <laughs> the remaining episodes after next week entitled Funeral for a Friend, they're just all, it's just, it's just the Netflix logo and then, then sad New Orleans uh, funeral music played over, over an empty background. And uh, surprise, he's dead. Or, or Pete, maybe he'll pull through at the hands of some sort of medical professional in the sun is down, moon is up part of the, the day, night. A, a, a nocturnal um, surgeon? A nocturnal surgeon, yes. Um, the scene did occur at night. She <laughs> is a nurse. Oh my God, Matt. We've, we've decoded it. If you're going to be shot anywhere on the island of Manhattan in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, do it with Claire Temple. Ding! I got one question, though. How many times is this guy going to be her patient when he's been shot by something? Um, well, I think, to, to be completely serious, for the, the arc of Luke Cage, the TV show, season one... Um, you know, guns, inner city, uh, black on black violence. I, I I think that though there's a little bit of a of a larger Marvel Netflix defenders, um, maybe story rough edge that gets to your question, Pete. I think that the needs of the needs of this season and the needs of this message uh, rather rather rise to the occasion. Matt, I'll tell you what I have questions about. We get the first reference here that beyond being a, uh, a cop, uh, Carl Lucas was a sheriff, which I think brings a, a, another layer of, uh, of mystery to this, that he was framed, what went on there, and Diamondback seems to know him as Carl, so will we get some more happening there i would be hard pressed to predict in my spoiler free purity that we're going to get a second round of luke cage flash flashes back is um this season um i mean that's not impossible but, but but i think it would be perhaps a bit tedious given that the the hook of the prison stuff previously was and that's how he got his powers so 
Time will tell, but I'm going to say maybe that's a nugget they're saving for season two or just passing reference to back in the day with Diamondback. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener, and Pete, the the person that we've heard from this particular time, th- there was a moment of mild confusion. There we were at New York Comic Con. And Pete, on September 30th, when we were first watching Luke Cage, I tweeted, Uncle Pete was good people. I said that in quotes. That's from the Luke Cage. I said, couldn't agree more. Hashtag Luke Cage CC Peter J. Kadalar on Twitter. So, Pete, there we are uh, getting ready for some New York Comic Con tomfoolery. We get a tweet. And the tweet is from actor Curtis Cook to Fantastic Geek, to you. Hashtag Uncle Pete, hashtag QQ, and uh, Pete, a a tweet from Uncle Pete. Yeah. It's all connected. Only, if only he had stayed good people. Curtis Cook is certainly good people. His character, decidedly not, and decidedly deed. Well, Pete, let's stay on the Twitter there. Uh, How can you be like you the listener how can you be like actor curtis cook and uh, get in touch with pete you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 8502 followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter is looking back lost you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways where we are fantastic geek that's fantastic with the p and the h on the dot com, the Gmail, the Instagram, the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. And Matt, I have to say, the Fantastic Geek Facebook has been blowing up of late. All sorts of new likes, people getting involved with the community that we have there. Just another way to interact with us. Well, Pete, of course, the Fantastic Geek train will keep on toot-tooting. We have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Wednesday and then uh, continuing Luke Cage Friday and the following Monday as we continue to rip through the second half of this first season. So an exciting time to be a podcast listener. Of course, Doctor Strange uh, a couple weeks away. And then uh, we just have good stuff ahead of us, Pete. Some Star Trek in the mix while the, the, the TV shows are off. And uh, before you know it, Pete will be locked and loading for the next Marvel Netflix series. But what I'm going to do right now, Pete, is I'm going to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Fly, Pelican, fly. Fly.